All right, well, good morning, church. We're continuing through Genesis, as you know. We're going to be in Genesis 44, starting in verse 14, going through the end of 45. What we're going to be talking about today is repentance, but also rest, uh, you know, restoration and reconciliation and revival and a bunch of these other R words that go along with it. But first is repentance. So remember to bring us up to where we left off because we left off right in the middle of the story last week. God is using Joseph to bring his brothers to repentance. They sold their brother into slavery over 20 years ago. They haven't repented of this. They've just been trying to hide it or conceal it or forget it or justify it or whatever they've been trying to do for 20 some odd years. Yet, as we know, sin is destructive. And the sin has not only hurt them, but it's also hurt uh, their father, right? They've been living with the guilt and shame for over 20 years, but their father also has been grieving the loss of Joseph for all these years as well, because he thinks that Joseph is dead. And so sin is destructive, like a little leaven, you know, leavens the whole lump. You think that sometimes your sin is not affecting those around you, but it can, and it does often. So we left off last Sunday after what would be considered a successful second trip down to Egypt from the brothers. The fathers relented, let them take Benjamin so they could go back down to Egypt because they were running low on grain and they needed more food. So he's like, okay, if this is how it has to be, go back. And so they went back down to Egypt and it seemed very successful because they got back there and they're like, we brought extra money because we don't know how it all got back in our sacks. And they're like, don't worry about it because God has given you that money. That was a gift. And Everything is good, and they and they had they had lunch with Joseph, though they didn't know it was Joseph, and he treated them at his house, and they had a great time, and everyone was drinking and eating and being merry, and it was really good, and they loaded up their sacks of grain, and they were heading home with all the brothers. No one was left behind. They had Benjamin, and 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 everyone was with them, and it was great, and the dad was going to be happy, and little did they know that Joseph had taken a silver cup, his favorite silver cup, and he had stuck it into the mouth of the sack of Benjamin's sack. And then he waited for them to be just a little bit out of town. And he sent his steward after him and he told his steward, you know, tell them, what is this you've done? How can you repay our good with your evil, right? And they're like, what are you talking about? We didn't steal anything. Why would we do that? So they, of course, search the sacks. They start from the oldest, they go to the youngest, and of course they find the silver cup in Benjamin's sack. And the brothers tear their clothes in, in anguish over this. I mean, they had loudly and proudly declared their innocence. Matter of fact, they had stated, listen, well, none of us did this. And if any one of us is found to have that silver cup in our party, you can just kill him. And the, and the steward's like, well, tell, tell you what, instead of killing him, we'll just make him a slave and the rest of you can go. But they serve all the sacks, they, they search all the sacks, and they find it in Benjamin's sack. So they tear their clothes in anguish because this is an extreme expression of grief or distress, and it's usually done when someone dies. But this is their mentality. Their mentality is, is that Benjamin is now dead. That's their mentality because they're going to have to leave Benjamin behind. The whole world has come crashing down. There are, it's a possibility that none of them are going to go back home now. They're all going to be stuck in Egypt. 
and they're overwhelmed with emotion. And that's right where we're going to pick it back up as they're now going to head back to talk to Joseph, who they don't know is Joseph yet, right? And going to state their case and make their appeal, as it were. So we're going to start off in Genesis chapter 14, Genesis chapter 44, verse 14, and read through the end of chapter 45. So... So I'm just to back up two verses where it says, and they began with the eldest, ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. And then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. In verse 14, when Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there, and they fell before him to the ground. Once again, this is the third time that they have thrown themselves before Joseph. Again, fulfilling his dream that God gave him. They fell before him to the ground, and Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? Let me just stop right there really quick, because he is not saying he practices divination. That's an occultic practice. It was a common practice within the Egyptians. Someone of his stature would probably practice divination. Someone of his uh, you know, authority would probably do that. He's still playing the part. So he says, don't you know someone like me can do this? As in, don't you know you can't get away with this because someone like me can practice divination. We would have found out you took it, right? But he's not saying he actually does it because some people are like, Joseph's practicing divination. No, no, he's not. He's just playing the part of the Egyptian saying, don't you know I am the type of person who could have done this? In other words, you're never going to get away with this, right? And verse 16, and Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. But Joseph said, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. As for you, go up in peace to your father. And then Juno went up to him and he said, Oh my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears and let not your anger burn against your servant for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant saying, have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, we have a father, an old man and a, a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead and he alone is left of his mother's children and his father loves him. And then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me that I might set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his his father would die. And then you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. Verse 24, when we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, go again, buy us a little food, we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down for we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. And then your servant, my father said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me and I said, surely he has been torn to pieces and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me and harm happens to him, you will bring my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all of my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. 
chapter 45. And then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and that the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. And so Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. For you shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, and there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. And then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. And when the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this. Load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me. And I will give you the best of all, the best of the land of Egypt. And you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. So the sons of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. And to each and all of them he gave a change of clothes. But to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. And to his father he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with the goods, good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. And then he sent his brothers away. And as they departed, he said to them, do not quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over the, all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for your word. And I thank you for the great message that's in here and the great picture that we see and the amazing encouragement that comes from it. We just thank you, Lord. And we pray that your words be spoken to us this morning. We pray, Lord, that we apply them to our lives and continue to live a life following you. We just thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So you can kind of try to put yourself in the place of the brothers at this moment in time where they've been down to Egypt twice now. And the first time they got accused of being spies. 
And they were told, if you want to be honest men, you have to go back and get your younger brother and bring him to me, which they did, though it took a while for them to convince their father to get Benjamin to come back. They get Benjamin to come back. All looks good. All seems well. They're going home on a high note when Benjamin, when they're accused of stealing, and then they find the cup in Benjamin's sack. So the roller coaster ride that they've been through, as far as emotions are concerned, are just, it's like ridiculous. Right? So you kind of maybe imagine how they feel at this point. They're scared, right? They're unsure. They're frightened. Like, what's going to happen when we go back there? Right? We don't know what's going to happen. What's this, what's the, this guy's second in command of Egypt. What's he going to do to us, right? right? Dad's going to kill us when we get home. That's assuming we get home, right? And, and then they're probably like, well, how did that cup get in Benjamin's sack? I mean, how do we talk our way out of this one? What can we say? What excuse can we even come up with to talk to the second command? You know, I heard this, it's sort of a joke. It's, it's a, about the federal officer. This federal officer was interviewing a, a kid for his security clearance. And he knew that this kid had a arrest on his record for speeding. It was an arrest for speeding, which means there's a lot more to it than just speeding, right? And, but when the kid was filling out his paperwork, for his security clearance, he didn't mention this anywhere on his paperwork, but the officer, this federal officer, knew that it was on his record. So the federal officer asked him, he said, hey, why didn't you mention this arrest? It's on your record. And the young man told him, he said, well, he says, that arrest, that arrest doesn't count. And he's like, well, what do you mean the arrest doesn't count? He's like, well, I didn't even have a license back then. <laughs> That's kind of how we are with excuses. We think that they're really logical and they work really well, right? When they absolutely make no sense. When we look at the Bible and we say, well, you know, what does the Bible say about excuses? Well, the Bible says the ways of a man are cunning in his own eyes, right? So what the Bible says about excuses is, is that you're really good at making them. They just aren't any good when they stand up to God's word, right? They're good in your own eyes, they're not good to God. They're just excuses. They're pretty lame, and God won't be mocked. And if you remember the parable that Jesus told, Jesus told about the great banquet, all those with excuses didn't come, and they missed out, right? Because they all had good excuses not to be there, or so they thought. I mean, well, what excuse could you make in front of God anyway that you would satisfy him? I mean, what could you come up with when you're in a position like this where you're caught red-handed in your sin, you're caught red-handed in your guilt, all the evidence is stacked against you, there's nothing you can do, what excuse could you come up with? Nothing, right? You couldn't come up with any excuse, really. Nothing you could say could satisfy God, except possibly if you came with a humble and contrite spirit, if you came with a broken and contrite heart. Right, Isaiah 66, 2 says... Uh, this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Right? If you tremble at the word of God, you're going to approach God differently. Right? Those who do not tremble at the word of God are just going to try to come up with excuses and they're going to approach God foolishly. They don't think they're in sin. They don't think they've made a mistake. They don't think there's anything wrong with what they've done. Right? And thankfully... Joseph's brothers aren't even going to try to talk their way out of this. And that shows us the changed heart 
of his brothers. Because if probably 20 years ago had something like this happened, it would have been a completely different reaction. Remember, they, they wiped out a whole town. Right? Wiped out a whole town of people who, who had defiled their sister. I mean, they, their, their hearts were far from God in many situations, but now their hearts have changed. And how do we know their hearts have changed? Well, when they sold Joseph into slavery 20-some-odd years ago, they didn't even seem phased, right? They threw him in the pit. Well, first they wanted to kill him. But it was Judah who says, how about we don't kill him, right? Let's just throw him in the pit instead. Or maybe we should sell him. But they throw him in the pit. And what do they do? They just sit down and have lunch, right? They just sit down and, hey, what are you having? What did you bring? Oh, you know. And they sit down, they just have a lunch and they talk with you. They're not even phased about the fact that they've thrown their brother into the pit. And they're not even phased by the fact that they sell him into slavery. Now, 20 years later, right, it has changed them. And it hasn't changed them for the better, except for the fact that because they've been carrying that guilt and shame and they need to repent, right? But now, with Benjamin being accused of stealing, you can see that their hearts have changed because one, they stand in unison with their brother. They're not going to abandon him. They refuse to leave him. And they all return together, even though they were told the only one who has to suffer any consequences here is Benjamin because the cup was found in his sack. The rest of you can go home to your father. They all return together with Benjamin to face the consequences. Right? They trusted each other. They stood by each other. Instead of accusing each other, Right, which maybe would have happened 20 years ago. You did it. No, I didn't do it. You must have done it. Right? They would have been this big family argument. They didn't do that. They just said, no. Right? We're going to go with them. We're going to go back. We're going to stand by each other. So they return and they fall before Joseph. Like I said, this is the third time that they've fallen and basically prostrated themselves in front of Joseph. And Joseph, you know, still playing the part of the Egyptian ruler, which of course he is. He is second command. And they don't know, of course, that it's Joseph still. Right? Uh, and Judah is, becomes the spokesperson basically for all the brothers. Judah steps up and Judah delivers one of the most emotional, passionate pleas, right? A poignant speech, a heartfelt, desperate appeal as it were. And some theologians have called this the most moving address in the word of God. Uh, but it's a picture of showing how their hearts had changed. There's a quote by Donald, Donald Barnhouse that says, you know, a physicist could compute the exact time required for Joseph's cries from when he was in the pit, 20, you know, to go from where he was to his brother's, to his brother's ears. Right? So a physicist could figure out the exact time it would take for his cries in the pit to get to his brother's ears. But it took 22 years for those cries to go from the eardrums to the heart. But it has. They finally reached the heart of their brothers. And you can clearly see this. You'll clearly see it with Judah, right? But also throughout all the brothers. And you see it right away because it starts in verse 16 of 44 when Judah says this, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he in whose hand the cup has been found. They're not even going to talk. They're try to talk themselves out of this. What are they saying? They're saying there is nothing that we can say and there is no way that we can justify ourselves. And that is where repentance starts. That is how God wants you to come to him, not with excuses, 
But he wants you to come to him and says, there is nothing I can say and there is no way I can justify myself. I'm sorry. And that's how Judas starts, right? Judas is saying, listen, the evidence is clear. It all looks bad. We accept our fate, right? We are your slaves, all of us. To which Joseph replies, no, I only require Benjamin to be, Benjamin to be my slave. The rest of you can go home to your father. But Judah's not done. So Judah then takes another step towards Joseph. He approaches him and he says, listen. And he recounts the entire story, right? This is what you told us the last time we were here. And this is what happened after we got home. And this is what it took for us to come back. Right? If I go back without my brother, my father's going to die. My father's going to die. So Judah is showing that he has a great concern here for the feelings and the welfare of his father, for the feelings and, of course, the welfare of his brother. So he says this. This is what Judah says. It's in verse 33. He says, Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. Right? Judah dramatically offers his life for the life of Benjamin. Judah is willing to be the substitutionary sacrifice out of love for his father, out of love for his brother, out of love for his family. Judah says, let me take his place. I will stay here. Let them all go home. And that is, of course, remarkable evidence of Judah's changed heart but the, and the changed heart of his brother. Because Judah, in this moment is a type of Christ. Right? It says in 1 John three sixteen. by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Right? Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that someone that laid down his life for his friends. This is the ultimate example of love. And Judas says here, I will give you my life for his. Let me stay. Let him go home. I read a story this week. And uh, there was this young girl, I don't know her age exactly, but the doctor had, it was an emergency operation, it was an emergency surgery, he had to operate on this little girl. And she was O-negative blood, and for some reason, wherever they were, they were out of O-negative blood. They, they actually didn't have any. Uh, and this was, like I said, an emergency situation, but they knew her, her brother was O-negative. So the doctor approaches her brother, who was also a young kid, much like the sister. And he sits down, the brother, and he explains to him what's going on. And he, you know, and, he, and he tells him that it's serious. That his sister needs the blood. right? It's a, it's a life or death emergency situation. And the brother sat there quietly thinking about it. And then the brother got up and went over to his parents. And he said, goodbye mom and dad. And the, bro- and the doctor really didn't think anything of his statement at the time. right? Uh, until, of course, after he took the blood and was done... And the little boy sitting there, and the little boy turned to the doctor and he says, Doctor, he says, uh, so when will I die? And the doctor was like, what? But you see, the doctor then understood that the boy thought that giving his blood was going to kill him. So he thought he was giving his life for his sisters. That's the type of love we're talking about. Right? That's the love that changes the world. That's the love that we should have for others. That's sacrificial love. Now the doctor was glad to explain it to him. <laughs> hey, guess what? 
you're not going to die. But that's the type of love. That's the love that Judah has for Benjamin. That's the love that Judah has for his father. Now that's, and that's the love that Joseph sees. Joseph's been testing them these enti- all these times that they've been coming down to Egypt. He's been testing them. And now he sees this. And he's so overcome with emotion that he sends everybody out, right? That's at the beginning of chapter 45. He's just like, everybody leave, right? He sends everyone out, right? Make everyone go out from me. It says no one stayed with him when he made himself known to his brothers. It says that he wept and he cried so loud that pretty much all of Egypt heard it, right? I mean, everyone outside heard it. The Pharaoh's house heard it. Everyone heard him crying. And he wept so loud. Probably caught the brothers off guard. I mean, you can think that, you know, after Judah gets up there and gives him this plea and says, listen, take my life for his. And that was like the last straw for Joseph. He just emotionally couldn't take it anymore. It's like, my brothers, they're, they're, they've changed. Their hearts are, they fear God. Right? And he just was overcome with emotion and started crying so loud. I'm not sure how the brothers reacted to that. Well, we kind of know how the brothers reacted to that, right? But, but if that didn't really surprise them, which I think it did, but if that didn't really surprise them, then what he said next, of course, shocked them completely because he says, I am Joseph, right? Is my father still alive? But it says that his brothers couldn't answer him because they were so dismayed. Well, dismayed in the Hebrew means they were disturbed, they were alarmed, they were terrified. They weren't dis- they were dismayed, they were in shock, right? It said literally Hebrew uh, legend says that the brothers were so shocked that their souls left their bodies and it was only by a miracle of God that their souls came back. Right? So that's how shocked they were in the finding that this gentleman that they'd been dealing with this entire time was their brother Joseph. Right. When it says in verse 4, when Joseph says, come closer to me, that tells you their reaction. Because what it means is they were so terrified and disturbed and shocked that when he, he first started crying and then said, I am Joseph, they all just kind of fell backwards. They all just shrank back in terror. And he's like, no, come closer. Right? Come closer. And he starts speaking to him in Hebrew. Like this whole time he could have been speaking to him in Hebrew. You know, the, the brothers didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. That wasn't common. That wasn't a common belief. But yet, Joseph, as far as they were concerned, had been dead. And now, here he was, alive, <laughs> standing in front of them. So you can imagine what they're going through. And so Joseph understands, of course, their hesitation and their fears. And so he calls them closer and he assures them of who he is. And he consoles them, he puts them at ease, and he tells them with this great statement, in verses 5 through 8 there in chapter 15, he says, listen, don't be distressed, don't be angry, because at yourselves. In other words, quit holding on to the guilt and the shame that you've been holding on to for 20 years because you sold me into slavery. Don't, because God sent me here for a purpose. God sent me here to preserve life, right? God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. So it was not you who put me here, it was God. Right? Why was Joseph in Egypt? Was it because of the sin of his brothers or was it because of God's plan for his life? It was both. Right? It was both. 
But Joseph understood that God's plan or God's purpose was greater than the evil intentions of his brothers. And that's what he's telling them. He's not really letting them off the hook in the sense because he doesn't, I mean, he's not. He says, listen, don't be angry because you sold me here. God's plan was greater. He sent me here to preserve life. Right? God's purpose was greater than your evil intentions. I mean, later on, as we know, and we'll get to it, he'll tell them, look, God used your evil for good. Joseph understood God's in control. Right? God's orchestrating all of this. Right? All these seemingly unplanned circumstances were all part of God's plan for his life and for the nation of Israel. Right? This event was foundational to the miraculous nation. Right, through whom we receive the scriptures and through whom Jesus comes. This is all part of God's plan for the nation of Israel. If this reconciliation never happened, the children of Israel would have scattered and merged with all the other pagan cultures and societies around them and probably disappeared into nothing. That wasn't God's plan. It wasn't going to be that way. Despite everything that had gone on for the last 20 some odd years, God had a plan and was conducting this so that it would work out just like it worked out right now. This is how God planned it. This is what he's telling his brothers. Listen, this right here, right now, this is how God planned it. And what Joseph is telling his brothers is really simple. Right? Because right? he's not resentful for what happened to him. He's not holding a grudge against his brothers. He was just saying, this is all God's plan and it's okay. So appreciate what God has done and what God is doing. And quit worrying, he tells them. Let go of your shame. Let go of your guilt. You're forgiven. Just let it go. It's all good. God had planned this. And you could probably I don't know, feel the weight lift off them at that moment. I mean, they all broke down eventually, weeping and crying and you know, hugging and kissing each other. But you could probably feel the weight of all that sin and all that shame just lift right off of them. That had had been building up over 20 years. That they'd been wrestling with for over 20 years. You could probably feel it all lift away as they cast it to the Lord. Because they repented. And God took the burden from them. Right? As it says in 1 Peter, right? Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. They had, never ca- they had never given this to, this to God. They had just been carrying it themselves. And now they were finally able to release it. Finally able to experience forgiveness because they finally repented. Right? The brothers were experiencing a life-changing event. <clears throat> Joseph hugs Benjamin and all the brothers embrace each other and wept and they wept some more and they probably cried and cried and cried. The Egyptians probably think they're all crazy. first Joseph starts crying and then all his brothers start crying and everyone over there is having a weep fest. But the Pharaoh's actually very excited when he hears about it and gives the orders for Joseph to take all this stuff back and go get his father and bring him to the land. But repentance leads to forgiveness and it then leads to reconciliation. And Joseph, he doesn't just tell them they're forgiven. He welcomes them into his heart. He welcomes them into his home. He says, go get dad and come back and we're going to give you the best spot here in Egypt to live and we're going to give you everything that you need to survive. Come live with me. 
right? Because with reconciliation comes a restored fellowship. And now he has a restored fellowship with his brothers that he hasn't had for 22 years. Right? Joseph sends them back to the whole family right? to bring them down to Egypt for their safety and their provision. And he tells them one interesting thing as they get ready to leave. Right? He says, uh, don't quarrel on the way. Because right? he knows his brothers. He's like, you know what that really, in the Hebrew, that literally means don't start going backwards. In other words, we could say, don't backslide. You've experienced God's grace and his forgiveness, right? Your feet are walking lighter on the ground than they were when you came in here. Don't go home and start bickering again and going back into the old ways of things. You've been forgiven. Right? You've been revived. You've been restored. We're back together again. Don't quarrel on the way, guys. Right? Just get back to dad. Give him the good news. Because after repentance and forgiveness, what comes? Good news. And now you share it. Right? Go to give dad the good news. And they do. They get back there. Right? Basically, it's like Jesus telling us, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. That's basically what Joseph is telling his brothers. You've been forgiven. Don't sin anymore. Do your best. Right? Guard against that. So they do. They go home to their father. They take wagons of stuff back. I mean, they would have seen them coming. They would have had this huge supply of stuff coming. They're like, they had to get wagons to bring all the women and the kids and all the supplies, even though he says, don't worry about bringing all your stuff, really. You don't need it. Which is what actually archaeological ruins and everything that they have found show that they built their houses there in Egypt. They didn't, you know, they brought some of their, you know, their stuff with them, but they didn't, you know, try to bring all their, their stuff in that sense. It's like, don't worry about packing everything. <laughs> Just grab the essentials and let's go, right? So they get home, they tell Jacob the good news, and it says that his heart became numb. If you can imagine. The brothers have just experienced this, and now the father's experiencing it. What did you just tell me? Right? Joseph is alive. He's in the second command over, in, over all of Egypt. He's, been Lord, he's Lord of Egypt. What did you just tell me? Right? It says his heart became none. To, to say he was stunned is actually kind of like an understatement. That, I mean, in the Hebrew, it actually, in a sense, implies that his, start, his heart stopped beating. It was just like, yeah. And then he looked out the window, of course, and saw in the driveway all these wagons and all these goods, right? That was evidence that they weren't, you know, at least they're not, they're not lying about everything. I mean, it's all right there outside. He says he saw that and his spirit was revived, right? He was re-energized, right? He was restored. Right? His heart started beating again. He's like, oh, right? He, I mean, Jacob had pretty much resigned himself to the fact that he was going to be sent down to Sheol in his sorrow with, you know, with his gray hairs. That's pretty much how he'd resigned himself. This is what the brothers, that's what his sons were going to do to him. I'm going I'm to go on down to Sheol with my gray hairs because of the evil of my sons. This is just how it's going to end. But no, now he's restored, right? He, remember what it, Jacob said? All these things are against me. You guys and everything that you do and all these things are against me. But now he says... Uh, no, it's enough. My son is alive. I'm going to go see him before I die. 
even though he didn't see Joseph, he believed. And he said, I will go see him. And he does. Well, we'll get to that. He's going to go down to Egypt. They're all going to hurry on down there as fast as you can hurry 70-odd some people and a whole bunch of wagons 300 miles down to Egypt. Right? So, here's a couple things to take with you from this. One, think of this. None of this would have been possible without what the Lord had did in the life of Joseph. Right? And we think, well, what? I mean, his brothers tried to kill him. They sold him into slavery. His father rebuked him for telling him dreams. Right? Oh, you're all going to bow down to me. I have this dream where you all bow down to me. How dare you have a dream like that? You really think your father and mother are going to bow down to you? You're a crazy kid. But everything that Joseph went through, being sold into slavery, the accusations being put into jail, all this stuff, for the, separated from his family, the whole bit for 20 some odd years. Everything that's come forth now is all possible because of what the Lord did in the life of Joseph. It was all possible because of what? Because of the suffering that Joseph went through, right? He suffered, yet he triumphed, right? The whole thing is a great picture of what Christ has done for us on the cross, right? Through his death and his resurrection, Joseph is a picture of Christ because he suffered and he triumphed and he was dead and now he's resurrected. It's a picture. Joseph went from suffering to glory. He went from prison to the throne. And with that, he was able to offer forgiveness and he was able to offer reconciliation. His brothers rejected him at first, right? When he came to them with his dreams, his brothers rejected him at first. That was the first time that he revealed himself in a sense to his brothers when he told them the dreams and they rejected to him. Stephen tells us this in Acts chapter seven about how Joseph revealed himself to his brothers twice. The second time that he reveals himself to his brothers, of course, is right now, right? And here they recognize him and they receive him. They repent and they weep, which is exactly what's going to happen with Jesus. But also within this, we see a picture about understanding God's will for your life. Because we often, we've talked about this many times, we often think that it's going to be this life of sunshine and rainbows and, and stuff like that. But we have to understand that no matter what we go through in life, no matter what is going on right now, whether it be really good or really bad, whether it be a high or a low, right, no matter how ugly or difficult the days are, it's... Uh, God working, right? It's, it's the, his divine hand working in your life. And that's what we see through this, everything that we've watched since we've gone back to the point that Joseph was sold into slavery to the point that he's reconciled us with his brothers now some 22 years later. This is all God's divine hand working in their lives. So we can't ever go through a time in our life where we think that God's not working because no matter what we're going through in our life, God is working, and we need to see it for that. We need to see that God is working. God is weaving a tapestry. You've heard of that. You've probably heard people talk about that illustration, right? Where you, where the, on front, the tapestry looks like a beautiful, whatever picture that they weaved on the back. It's like this just ugly clump of, you know, of all the threads and everything. It doesn't look like anything on the back, but you would think, man, that, 
it's terrible. Then you go around the front and look at the actual picture. It looks fantastic. So God's weaving this tapestry. And that tapestry is going to be perfect in a way that you can never do on your own. There's no way that you could do this. And in the end, when, you're, when you could be able to look back and see that the work that God has done, you're going to be amazed and you're going to just glorify God because you're, you're just going to be like, I didn't realize what God was doing at that point. I didn't realize what God was doing. I, I thought that, that that was such a low point in my life. I didn't think that God was working. And you're going to realize, wow, God was actually working there. I didn't see it. When you look back and you're going to be able to see what God has done, you're just going to, you're going to be dumbfounded at the work that he was doing in those moments that you thought maybe he'd abandoned you when he hadn't. All right. And the last thing I want to remind you of is really simple. Right? We see a great picture of Christ in, in Judah and willing to give his life for his brother. We see a picture of Christ in Joseph and everything that's happened to him and, and, and stuff like that. But we, want to, we don't want to lose focus because ultimately... Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant, right? That, that word for guarantor is surety, right? And that's what Joseph is, is actually saying. Joseph's like, I'll be the surety, right? I'll be the down payment. Well, Jesus has done that for us, right? Because it was actually Jesus who gave his life for ours. Joseph offered, I'm not Joseph, but Jacob offered to give his life for his brothers, Right? Many people have laid down their lives for other people, but Jesus is the one who's laid down his life for us. Right? Who took our place on the cross. Christ is the surety for those who have placed their faith in him. He has assumed the responsibility of making sure that we come to the Father. That responsibility is on Jesus. No one can come to the Father except through him. You put your faith in Christ, he's making sure that you're going to come to the Father. No one will be able to take you out of his hand. You can't be separated from God. Right? He is that assurance. He is that surety that you're going to be reconciled to the Father. You know, the brothers were innocent of stealing the silver cup. They actually didn't steal it, right? No one stole it. Not even Benjamin. It was placed there by Joseph. It was all part of his, his diabolical plan, right? But yet, even though they were, des- they were innocent of that, they were guilty of sin. And this is how we kind of sometimes view things. We think, well, you know, well, we look at these sins out in, in the world that we see, you know, these great sins. We think, oh, hey, we're better than that. We don't do that. Right? We're innocent of that sin and this thing. We can go through the list of, you know, seven deadly sins. We're innocent of all these, of the seven deadly sins. We don't do any of these. Man, we're such good people. And God's like, no, 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 no. You're still guilty of sin. No one is righteous. All have fallen short of the glory of God. You can go through the list and mark them off, but you're still guilty of sin. You can't hide it. Time does not erase the guilt. Nothing can, only the blood of Jesus. Right? So the question you have to kind of ask yourself is, if you're dealing with these things in your life, is how long do you want to carry it around? Do you want to be like the brothers here and carry it around for 22 years, not dealing with it, not repenting of it? I, I don't recommend it. Right? How about instead you just humble yourself before the Lord, find your much-needed rest in Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. For he says, what? My yoke is easy. right? My burden is light. When he's 
saying that. He's talking about the burden of sin. The burden of the law is specifically is what he's referring to. Listen, there's like 600 laws you have to keep or more. right? And you think you're great because you, you haven't broken any of these. But you broke that one. And if you've broke one, you've broke them all. That's how God looks at it. So he said, that's a heavy burden to be carrying around. Why are you trying to carry that around? The brothers tried to carry that around for 20 some odd years. The burden of that sin. You're not going to earn your way into heaven. You're not going to be found righteous by living a good life and being a good person. You're not going to go to heaven by going to church every Sunday. Right? Which is thankful for all the people who missed today. Whew, they still get to go to heaven. Well, you're only going to be reconciled to God through your faith in Christ Jesus, and that is the only way, right? Through his death and through his resurrection, through his suffering. What well, we are saved by grace, right? Through faith, that's it. And let me tell you, in case you forgot or you never knew, a life lived by faith is a much lighter yoke and a much easier burden to carry than the burdensome yoke of sin and self-righteousness. Right? A life of repentance, a life of humility, a life of forgiveness. It's a life of joy and peace. Wouldn't you much rather have that? Once you've experienced, do you really want to go and continue to hold on to that sin? Or do you want to continue just to give it to God and repent? Experience the joy and peace that comes with that and continue on in your life with the Lord. That's the best choice. Amen.